Nick Schwartz with Chris Unocero. This is Cody and Gold on 610 Sports Radio. Alex on vacation. Cody has uh, contracted some sort of eye infection. Well, it's commonly referred to as pink eye. But you know what? We rise above it. We move on. And this is incredible, actually. Yesterday, the random question of the day, somebody texted in and said they were at the hospital listening to the show as their wife was getting ready to give birth. They, I think, I guess they didn't find out the sex. They thought it was going to be a boy. So the random question of the day was, we helped the guy out. We said, what should this guy name his son? And the name that we settled on as a show was Emilio. Well, he just texted in and said from the 816, hey, so the random question of the day yesterday, we did not know if we were having a boy or a girl. It was a girl. Her name is Amelia. And get this. She just so happened to be born last night at 6.10 p.m. How about that? We have our first 610 baby, Chris. I think it's a good Are omen. you sure? That's yeah. our first, no, there there's definitely have to be no, other 610 baby. No, but our 610 baby. It's being credited to the station. Is it being credited? Yeah, okay. We helped him. We helped Watch him name somebody her. come out the woodworks and said, I had my baby at 610. We picked Emilio. He named her Amelia. She was born at 610. It's, man. I mean, did that give, seems weird to wait that long. Uh, that's, giving me, to have, that's giving me good vibes. Yeah, no, that seems like weird to wait that long. No, so a lot of parents do child. that. No. A lot of parents do that. They wait until the, they actually meet the child before they have one. I guess I know, I know people like way ahead of time have a list of names. Hey, maybe Dane and Hughes got some advice for us. Dane and Hughes, he will be on the call on Sunday, 325 Chiefs Rams. Dane, what's happening, man? How you doing? What's going on, fellas? Happy pre-Thanksgiving. Absolutely. This is, uh, we were talking earlier, I think the pre-Thanksgiving festivities is just as good as Thanksgiving itself. The night before seems like it's always like the most relaxing night, right? Where you just kind of can sit back, you can have a drink, hang out with the family before uh, all the festivities on Thanksgiving. It's like the night before the Super Bowl. It's like you can't, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing is uh, going to be bad the next day. Everything is good. Uh, you're going to have the time of your life and you're just going to sit back and enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm trying to gauge the food that I eat today and, figure out my plan for tomorrow morning. We usually eat around two o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow. My wife, Tiffany does all the, the cooking. So I got to give her a shout out. Wait, uh, she, she has all of it. it for, you, are, uh, what's what's day. Are you chipping in at all tomorrow on the cooking? No, I work to put the food on the plate. I don't work. <laughs> He's like, I'm not work. doing any work. My money yeah. did the work here. <laughs> that's 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 exactly. Everybody has a role, man. Just like the chiefs. Everybody has a role. <laughs> Everybody has a responsibility. We got 25, 20, 25 people coming to the house every year. And um, I'm a one-hit wonder, so I go for one plate. I'm just a one-plate guy. That's it? Just one plate? Yeah. One big plate. If you've followed me on Twitter, you can go back and see my plates from past four or five years. They are epic plates. They're about, I'd say, eight inches high maybe six uh, to eight inches stack. high off the plate oh, oh yeah, yeah. Stack. you stack okay that makes equal sense. opportunity every, every food can touch each other it's all going to the same place oh i can't do that i can't they can't oh, touch yeah. they can't like the stuff yeah. some stuff can't touch no no I, they, everything I, uh, touches everything touches <laughs> mac and cheese can't family. touch nothing else oh man no, i don't eat mac and cheese oh you don't eat mac and cheese what no okay okay no. so now we got to get to this because in the Thanksgiving plate is a polarizing discussion, Danan. I yeah. know you're, you're probably going to share it, but can you give us a preview of what it's probably going to look like tomorrow? So you'll have some deviled eggs, some green beans, some collard greens, some 
candy yams, uh, some sweet potatoes. Uh, I'm sorry, we'll have some regular mashed potatoes. We'll also have turkey, ham, gravy, stuffing, a lot of stuffing, some uh, rice, a couple of rolls, and pretty much about three-quarters of a can of cranberry sauce. That's that's pretty much it. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. Three I mean, on your plate? Wow. I don't know how you yeah. could be forgetting anything, Danon, because you just named everything that you have, food. except for the dessert. Do you go for dessert? Oh, too? Macar- macaroni salad. I don't eat macaroni and cheese, uh, so macaroni salad, and then there'll be um, sweet potato pie afterwards. My goodness, man, that's there a hell. That's a hell of a spread, Danon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, how this this has to be a, a monstrous plate if you're fitting that much food. Check it out. Check it out. Go back in my timeline. Maybe I'll repost. All right. A flashback. I'll, I'll be back. I'll be waiting for your post tomorrow on Twitter. Yep. I'll see your plate. Uh, yeah, everybody. I mean, I get a lot of people that text me on the side. A few people that uh, tweet me waiting for it. Usually around two or three. Oh, o'clock so this, in this the is a thing. So. I didn't realize this was a thing. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a thing. Okay. It's All special. Right. Appointment viewing on Dane and Hughes Twitter. I'll be I'll, checking. I'll it make out. sure to check it out tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow, yeah, uh, Dane. And so last Sunday night, I thought was one of the more impressive performances from the Chiefs' offense. You can go off the raw numbers if you want, but more so the circumstances, right? You you were without Juju. You were without McCole. Uh, Kadarius Tony goes down during the game. Clyde Edwards-Helaire goes down to the during the game. So all the Chiefs did was run three tight end sets. They run Sky Moore, who hadn't been getting playing time all year. He has his best game. Isaiah Pacheco. Goes in as the lead back. He has his best game. Patrick Mahomes throws for 329, three touchdowns, and you beat a divisional rival on the road. Uh, <laughs> what What is the reason? Because that feels like a microcosm of the season, Dane, and whereas you can come up with reasons as to why you'd think there'd be growing pains. Moving yeah. on to life without Tyreek Hill, just like you thought there might be growing pains in having to play a bunch of rookies last Sunday, yet this team just finds a way to not just get by, but seemingly not skip a beat. How? how? I mean, like, how, I can't wrap my head around how the same issues that plague other teams aren't plaguing this team this year. Well, one, you have the, the greatest uh, quarterback uh, in the history of the game to me, the greatest talent at quarterback, I should say. Uh, not the most accomplished yet, but the greatest talent. And to me, also, you have to give props to the coaching. And here's one of the the aspects of that that I want to definitely point out. When we were playing the Colts and when we played the Titans last year, and uh, I'm trying to think of the other years of the, like the embarrassing games, the Cincinnati Bengals second half of each game last year, uh, a lot of the critique went towards Eric, the enemy. And I always found that the, there was an imbalance between the success of this team, specifically on the offense always got credited to Andy Reid. And I think they complement each other very well. So in a situation where you have three of your top four receivers down, you're one of your top two running backs down, you have to give credit where it's due to the coaches. And Eric Bieniemy, Greg Lewis, Andy Reid, to me, this is where this is, this is what, like what you would say is a coaching clinic and that other coaches should take notice and take heed. And if you had any coaches uh, that came in during training camp and watched how this team worked as a, a unit and the coaches worked as a unit, it should be like a training tape for all coaches that aspire 
to get into the NFL because these guys have been working on this for that long, for this opportunity, for this time when something could happen. And I can't name another team pretty much in history, maybe back in the old days when you had 15 rounds and rookies played all the time, et cetera. But how often have you seen this many rookies contribute to the level that they are contributing right now with Pacheco and Sky and Watson and, and Williams and Chanel and Karloftis. I mean, you got Cochran on special teams. I mean, you got guys that are Brian Cook at the safety position. I mean, you, we can go through pretty much the entire draft and a couple of guys that we signed and say, you know what? They're not just filling in the blanks. They're not just, we're not putting in a couple of, you know, young receivers and then just running the ball like the old school chiefs used to do. We're not, you know, we're not doing anything different. We're just doing it a a different way, I guess you can say. And having three tight ends. Okay. We got two wide receivers down. Let's go three tight end unit. Uh, We got a, you know, a running back go down. Let's rotate Isaiah Pacheco in with Jarek McKinnon, not miss a beat. I mean, it is so special to watch. And I think, we want to make sure that we are really grabbing hold of this time because this is special football. And regardless of how the season ends, hopefully it ends in Glendale, Arizona, but regardless of how it ends, like the process is really special. And I got to give credit to the coaches and, and how they're doing it. Yeah. You know what you call teams that play eight or nine rookies, you call them rebuilds. You call them rebuilds. four and 13, yeah. you know, <laughs> Like that That's what's yeah. so shocking. It's not just the individual performances of those guys. It's the fact that you're relying so heavily on rookies, and you're not just like another good team that's fighting for a playoff spot. This is the best team in the NFL, Dana. This never yeah. happens. Yeah. I mean, it is truly special, and you, how demoralizing is it towards opponents? That I mean, like, I'd like to be, like, in the quietest moment of Justin Herbert's time like during the week or going back multiple weeks with Jimmy Garoppolo and and you go with the Titans and and sit down with Mike Rabel and have like truth serum and say how demoralizing is it that you're getting beat the way you're getting beat by who you're getting beat by guys that you probably had no clue were on this roster never mind going out and making plays Jody Fortson going down the sideline people don't understand how difficult that route was now it's a Absolute great throw. If -hmm. you ever have a dime of a throw, that was a dime of a throw to Jody Fortson. But he came in motion. So he ran across the backfield in motion for about 30 yards, then went down the field for about 40-something yards against a corner who's supposed to be faster than him and then pulls down the ball inside the five-yard line. Like He ran nearly 80 yards on one play and – it didn't seem like it was outside the norm. It wasn't a magical play. It was just a play that we're used to seeing here in Kansas City that most other teams can't make. Talking to Dane and Hughes of Chiefs Radio Network here on 610 Sports Radio. Chris Jones has been incredible this year. I think he has been as good as any defensive player in football. But Dane, the pass rush in general, how about this? 2020, the Chiefs had 32 sacks. Last mm-hmm. year, the Chiefs had 31 sacks as a team. This year, they have 32 sacks 
with seven <laughs> games to go, Dana. And, and when you look at the personnel, I mean, you brought in Carlos Dunlap. Okay, this is a nice guy who's been consistently productive. George Karloftis, first-round pick. You, you figured he would help out some. You bring in Frank Clark on the restructured deal. You made some changes, but it didn't feel like any big sweeping overhaul. How has this pass rush taken such a significant step from where we saw them the last two years? So even adding to even, even adding more to that is that you were without Willie Gay Jr. for four games. You were out Frank Clark for two games. So two guys that are contributing factors to that sack assault on opposing quarterbacks didn't even play some of these games, these eight, these 10 games that we've played. So how impressive is it that this defense is playing at a different clip? Uh, It's immeasurable. Now we knew coming into this season, we didn't know how good this defense was going to be, but one thing we did know that it was going to be faster. And to me, the speed that we increased on defense has helped Steve Spagnuolo to, to, to kind of put together different packages that other teams might be exposed. Maybe our team last year would be exposed differently with Daniel Sorensen and Tyron Matthew in the back end. But now we can have Justin Reed play up at the line of scrimmage. We can have Legereus Sneed blitz and be probably the best blitzing corner or defensive back in the NFL right now. And we can change up looks. And there's a guy like Nick Bolton, you know, I know a lot of people hadn't heard of him, but there's a guy like Nick Bolton that is managing the middle of the field like Mike Singletary. Like, we have a special, special unit, interchangeable parts, and the creativity is out the, the window when it comes to dialing up different looks that are confusing. Like, we're confusing quarterbacks. They haven't called timeouts, but Justin Herbert was confused on a couple of those sacks. We have four games this year where this defense has five-plus sacks in the game. That was the fourth one just this past weekend. So, like, I mean, we can make a lot about Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes on the offense and the interchangeable parts, but the defense, they're doing something unprecedented. Like, they're they're doing things like we used to do back in the 90s with Derek Thomas and Neil Smith, and uh, it's truly, truly fun to watch. I will say this, Chris Jones – did an outstanding job. He's getting pressure consistently on quarterbacks. But the most impressive play I saw of him this year was he tri- he chased down Austin Eckler on the sideline and made a tackle. And I believe it stopped from a first down. Now, I, I don't think it was third down, but he made a tackle to the sideline, which I hadn't seen very much from 95 in doing that. Usually he works a lot in the trenches, but to see that extra effort to go to the sideline and track down a, a, a running back that catch, caught the ball out of the backfield to, told me something about the attitude change and the effect of a guy like Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. and how their speed kind of is contagious with other guys. So it was great to see Chris play sideline to sideline type of football at times and not just be the beast in the middle. He's Dane and Hughes here. I'm on the call with Mitch Holtis, Josh Klingler this Sunday, Chiefs, Rams, 325, 106.5, the Wolf. Dane, thank you for the time. And uh, I think I speak for all of us, everybody listening, that we will be waiting on pins and needles to see that <laughs> monstrous spread that you're going to be assembling tomorrow afternoon. 
Hey, I aim to please, man. I might be in a, a coma afterwards, but I aim to please the fans. There you go. It'll hey, be coming out. What you do for the fans, man. That's why we love you. Thanks, Danon. All right, bro. All righty. That is Danon Hughes, Chiefs color analyst for the Chiefs Radio Network, joining us here on Cody and Gold. All right, let's get to the trash of the day. Trash of the day. All right. Trash of the day comes to us courtesy from everybody's favorite franchise, the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys are looking uh, a little little desperate. I'm not going to lie, man. On Twitter with their courting of Odell Beckham Jr. You see this tweet yesterday, Chris? I did not. I have seen all the other attempts by the team to sway Odell their way. Nobody is trying harder to get his attention nope, than, than the, the Cow- Cowboys. Cow- all the players, yeah. So yesterday they tweeted out, it's your move, OBJ. Side eye emoji. Dak Prescott shared part of his pitch to Odell Beckham Jr. and why he wants him in Dallas. Like This is the official team Twitter account. When do you ever see this? The team just saying like, hey, look at how hard we're trying to get Odell Beckham Jr. in Dallas. And they posted a whole, like, on their official team website. It's an entire article as to how hard they're trying to get. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I mean, can you blame them? Okay, I I guess I can't. Yeah. But you know why? Because the Cowboys are desperate and they need him. Yeah. The Cowboys are a good football team. They're one of the best teams in the NFC. Problem is, there's not a single team in the NFC that would beat the Chiefs or the Bills in the Super Bowl. I don't want to hear about the Eagles. I don't want to hear about the Vikings. I don't want to hear about the Cowboys. None of them. The Niners don't matter. None of them can do it because none of them have a quarterback of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen's caliber. So what is your only other option like the Niners have done? Hey, can't have an elite quarterback? Surround him with elite talent. The Niners have done it. It's exactly what the Eagles did this offseason when they went out and traded uh, for A.J. Brown. That's the Cowboys' only opportunity for success. I mean, the Eagles went out and got Indomitian Sue and Lingvall Joseph this week. They're well, last week. Going they, they all needed, in. They need talent. All these teams in the NFC need talent because they know that they're facing behemoths coming from the How AFC. How much does that suck, though, to know that we have to do everything? We have to go after every possible free agent just to, like, keep up. And you're not keeping up. Yeah, None of I these mean, teams are on the same level as the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, you know what the Chiefs did this offseason? They said, we're good. We'll, we'll sign a couple $10 million dollar wide receivers. We're going to get younger. We're going to play nine rookies. We're going to start a couple $10 million wide receivers. We're going to play more three tight end sets with Jody Fortson, a guy who converted to tight end two years ago. And it doesn't matter. We're still better than you. Not like we're on the same level. Not like we're all competing for the Super Bowl. No, you're playing catch up. I'll tell you this right now. I am officially... To the point where I have zero interest in the Chiefs pursuing Odell. I don't know where you've been on this, but a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? It's an arms race. Go out and get him. Seeing what the Chiefs did last weekend and seeing what the rest of the NFL is doing, I do, I'm, don't get me wrong. If they go out and get him, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was a terrible move. Why'd you do that? Because it's probably a, a low risk move. I'm just to the point where I do not care. I don't, I never really cared about getting him, but like, I, I was like, you'd you'd be doing yourself a service by making sure he stays away from the bills. And if he ends up in Dallas, I'm cool with that. As long as he doesn't end up in Buffalo, I don't think he's necessary for a championship. I think we've seen that now 
because the Chiefs have been able to show they've got some depth in their receiving core. So it's fine. And uh, honestly, man, if this is a guy that isn't going to play for another month, how useful is he going to be? I mean, he'd be useful in the playoffs, but like... Assuming that he comes back and is healthy. Yeah, assuming he comes back and plays the way that we've seen it. We saw him play in L.A. last year. If he played the way he played in the postseason last year, yeah, he's a massive weapon. But he was in L.A. for half a season, and he wasn't coming off an injury. So now he is coming off an injury, learning a new playbook, and I get it. These guys are talented. It doesn't take them a year to learn the playbook, but you'd like to have at least a month. Two months? Yeah. I mean, I don't blame. I mean, look, the Cowboys need. They need some more talent. We see their offense. Like, their offense isn't consistent. They need as much talent as they can get. Plus, on top of that, you got to find some way to close the gap between you and the Chiefs and Bills. So, do what you got to do. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to go out here and get on a team for trying to get better when you know. you. I mean, Dallas Cowboy fans in their heart of hearts know if these two teams played each other in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs would be pretty comfortably favored in that game. From the 816, Nick, I'm going to need you to pause between Mahomes and Allen when you say their names to emphasize that there is still a gap between the two. That's fair. I, I at, Earlier in the season, I was like, hey, why, why are so many people getting upset like saying these two guys are in the same tier? You're right. I think Mahomes is in his own tier by himself, and then Allen is in his own tier by himself right below Mahomes. But you're seeing, again, Bills didn't lose their star receiver this offseason. I mean, Bills paid their star receiver. They paid him. They did the opposite of what the Chiefs did. And then they paid a big contract to a mid-30s pass rusher to get him him there. And and Von Miller's been good. He's been good. He's been really good. But they, like, were desperate. They're like, we need to upgrade from our other old edge rusher and Jerry Hughes. Let's get another guy who's old and let's get him $120 million over six seasons. All right, Grady Dick just splashed one in on a pull-up three. Battle for Atlantis, Kansas, North Carolina State. I'm going to lock in on that for the next five minutes during this break. On the other side, Chiefs red half hour. Andy Reid might be in the midst of his best coaching job to date. I'll tell you why on the other side. This is Cody and Gold, 610 Sports Radio. You're listening to Cody and Gold, brought to you by Gan Asphalt and Concrete. For asphalt, concrete, and parking lot maintenance, Gan Asphalt and Concrete. One contractor, all things parking lot. Trusted in Kansas City since 1994. Online at gannasphalt.com. Don't miss Alex's That Betting Show every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Right here on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Chiefs Red Half Hour, every day at 1130 on Cody and Gold. Chiefs Red Half Hour brought to you by Greenway Ford. It's a new day, a new way at the all-new Greenway Ford. I'm Nick Schwartz with Chris Unocera. This is Cody and Gold on 610 Sports Radio. We'll go out to Arrowhead here coming up in uh, about 25 minutes or so. Hear from Andy Reid, get some injury updates from him. Hopefully learn about the status of Juan Thornhill, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Toney. Clyde Edwards Elaire. <laughs> you just gotta name half the team. Now? <laughs> I do. I mean, how many guys are injured? The big like, the big one for me is Juju, even though he weirdly enough is the guy I feel like I'm most confident in is going to return. Con- concussions, and I know they're not all the same, but typically it's speaking, it's a one game top. thing and then yeah, they're back. One game tops. A lot of guys get out of protocol after a week. I guess one's one would be a big one too. You really can't afford to 
to miss him for too terribly long. But I mean, you're you're talking about a high ankle sprain for Clyde. That ain't that ain't a quick turnaround. No. And I and I I want to I don't want to run the risk of sounding crass here, but I don't think the team needs him. Did you see how Isaiah Pacheco looked? An extended run. Just kind of been a microcosm of this team. Hasn't mattered who. I didn't believe Patrick Mahomes in the offseason when he said, oh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be terrible for fantasy football owners. One day, one week, it'll be this guy. One week, it'll be the next guy. I was like, all right. Okay, whatever. It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be Travis Kelsey and Juju. And then everybody else can pick up the scraps. But it really, truly has been, especially with those injuries starting to pile up. Patrick Mahomes deserves credit for that. But Andy Reid deserves a lot of it as well. I think, Chris, this might be his best coaching job in Kansas City. And I get it. It's 10 to 11 weeks into the season. You don't judge coaching jobs based off what you do the first two months of the year. But what he's been able to do without Tyreek Hill and how he has evolved this offense for Patrick Mahomes and for the weapons is nothing short of spectacular. He won't win coach of the year. Because we know how that works. Coach of the year works like this. Hey, we thought your team was going to suck and you're good. So it must be coaching, right? We're not going to consider the idea that maybe we were just dead wrong about your team. No, we were just wrong about the coach. That's why it'll be Kevin McConnell or Mike McDaniel who will end up winning. It's Nick Sirianni, even though they have like the most complete roster in the NFL, right? God forbid we just look at the roster construction and say, no, you should have thought they were good. No, it must be coaching. I don't really care about the individual coach of the year awards. I know that Andy Reid doesn't either, but this is as impressive of a job as he's done because for the first time, and I get it's easy. This is going to elicit eye rolls when I say this because of the fact that you have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, but the fact that you lost Tyreek Hill and replaced him with Juju, MVS, Kadarius, Tony, and Sky Moore, your offense is better. Your offense is better than it was a year ago. And statistically, it's not going to touch 2018. I think you could make an argument that this is the best offense that we've seen of the Patrick Mahomes era. Again, statistically, it's not going to look the same. But you look at like the way that they're doing it. Instead of taking the bombs downfield, they're getting tons of yards after catch. That's scheming. It's not just talent. The Chiefs don't have the best collection of runners after the catch in the NFL. It's scheme, it's quarterback play, and it's the evolution. They feel like that word's kind of become a buzzword with the Chiefs this year. The evolution of the offense, that is Andy Reid. This is a guy who's been doing this for longer than anybody else, yet he seems less stuck in his ways than any other play caller in the NFL. I don't know how he is immune to the same sort of uh, stagnations that we see from other offenses around the league. What is it about this guy? I can't. I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I just know that it wasn't supposed to look this easy. There were supposed to be growing pains, and we're not seeing any of it. I, I, I do agree with you on the point about this being the best offense that they've had. Not statistically, obviously not the case. But for me, I think the thing that works more in favor of that argument is the fact that the Chiefs, teams are taking them seriously and are respecting them so much that they're playing it safe, ultra-conservative, with their defensive play calling against this team. They did not do that in 2018. In 2018, teams were hyper-aggressive. They ran a lot of man coverage. They sent a lot of blitzes Patrick's way. And it's one of the reasons why they were able to get so many of those deep shots down the field. Because you'd have a guy like 
uh, Tyreek Hill, who was able to break open because teams did not respect that Patrick was going to be able to get the ball to him down the field under duress. Yeah. There's so much that teams have grown to respect Mahomes for. Now everyone's keeping it safe. Okay, let's make sure that we get two high safeties most of the time. Let's not send as many blitzes. Like the Chiefs still face a lot of man coverage, but it's man coverage with safety help over the top. They are teams aren't taking chances with these guys anymore. And that's the a, way they were four years ago. When you when you're talking about forces, like teams that everybody starts to come up with game plans for, answers for. This is how it works. Punch, counterpunch, punch, counterpunch. The Chiefs come in, high-flying offense. Okay, what are we going to do? Last year, we saw it really start to work. We're going to play two high safeties. You can't do anything deep. You got to take everything underneath. What did the Chiefs do? They started using Tyreek Hill as this incredible yards after the catch. And what did he do? Have one of the best statistical seasons of his career. One of the best wide receivers in the NFL again last year, even though he was being deployed in a brand new way. Well, now you lose him. And say what you will about the season that Juju's having. He ain't Tyreek Hill. And MVS, while he plays a lot, the production has not been there. I think it's five catches for 90 yards in his last three games combined. Yet this is the guy playing the second most snaps on your offense. Guess what? Doesn't matter. One day it'll be McColl. One day it'll be Kadarius Toney. One day it'll be Sky Moore. One day it'll be Justin Watson. They're using everyone. That, to me, is a sign of coaching. Yes, you need a quarterback who can get it there. And there are only a handful, if even that, that would be capable of having the statistical season that the Chiefs are having with the weapons that they've had. But it's also coaching to be able to say, okay, no Juju, no Nicole. How are we going to do this? Justin Watson, you're going to play more snaps than any other wide receiver. We know you're our fifth string wide receiver. Guess what? Today, you're our number one. And all we're going to do is go out and hang 30 on a divisional rival in a team that's going to the playoffs. It's, I think you'd have to probably go back to the Alex Smith years to find a season that would even compare to the coaching job that Andy Reid has done. And that's a sign of great coaching, man. Getting the most out of the weapons that you have at your disposal. And this is not, I don't care what you think about the Chiefs' weapons. Maybe they're underrated compared to what they thought we thought they were. This is not like the best collect collection of pass catchers in the NFL. Not even close. No. You I got mean, you got you got Justin Watson off the scrap heap. Yeah. You got Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round. Right. You got Kadarius Tony for a fourth round pick. Look at what you're doing with these guys. They have done such a great job of just finding value. And like I thought Juju would take a little time and then eventually like middle of the season start to come on start having some impactful games, score touchdowns, et cetera. But I thought there would be some growing pains with them because he, look, the Chiefs have a difficult system for receivers to learn. It's tough. It's very much chemistry-based. Mahomes, I mean, you still see him after plays yelling at guys, hey, hey, no, you're supposed to go this way on the route. Like, he's doing it all the time. And We've seen, I mean, we saw it with MVS early on where he's like, dude, just keep running because yeah. you know how these guys are. They they want to stop their routes because they're not used to having a quarterback that can just uh, toss the he's ball like, no, way I can down hit the you. field. He's like, no, you can keep going. Yeah, just keep, I can get it there. Keep running, dude. Like, you're good. You're not, there's no out of range for me with my arm. Like, that's, that's basically what you're seeing. There's like chemistry issues early on. But even then, they were still scoring a bunch of points. First game of the season, you know, over 40 on the on the Cardinals. 
Like, this is the kind of team that we're starting to see here is a team that's just found a way to kind of plug and play at that wide receiver spot because you've got the quarterback that knows what he's looking at as far as defenses go and how to take advantage. But it's not just, it's not just plugging and playing to where like, let's just go back to the prime Rogers years where they were always one of the best offenses in the league, but they weren't number one, number one, number one year after year after year. It was never like that personnel would change and it would say, okay, they maybe have taken a slight step back. They're not quite as effective or explosive as they were the year before, but they were the third best offense last year. They're the sixth best offense this year. That's not what's happening with the Chiefs. It's just first, 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 second, third, first, second. Like, that's what they've been doing under Mahomes. And now what we thought was going to be a transitional year, because we kind of, at least I kind of came into this season saying, well, we'll see what Juju does to see if they'll want to keep him long term. But they're still going to have to address wide receiver needs next offseason as well. I guess that's still true. But the, the answer to the first question is, the Chiefs would re-sign Juju today if they could. Absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah. there are no other good receivers that are going to be available next year. So Juju's looking around thinking, you know what? I might not, uh, you know, it might not be too bad is starting a bidding war for me this offseason. I thought maybe I was going to get 16, 17 mil. Yeah. The price tag just went up, right? Price on the package went up. I don't know if there's going to be a huge bidding war for him. Though. Why not? Every team now, look at what happened last season because it wasn't just, every team going after receivers, it was the fact that every team knows they need to have two guys now. You can't just rely on having a a number one wide receiver and putting pieces around him. You have to have multiple legit weapons. You don't think there are going to be other teams that will be willing to overpay Juju? I don't know if, like, I mean, overpay in what, like, A, we we obviously don't know what the number is, but I don't know if we're going to have a bunch of other teams willing to just go out there and just toss as much money as we normally see for receivers, because I think a lot of people are, there's a lot of people who are going to look at this situation and say, that's probably more Mahomes than Juju. And so I think that it, it, I do think there will be other teams that put in bids on him. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be enough to sway him to where he's going to be like, ah, oh, then this other team gave me so much better of a deal. I had to take it. I don't think it's going to be. And I think he's expressed interest. Like he says, he wants to be back. And I think the Chiefs want him back. And I think they'll probably try to work uh, a deal that allows the Chiefs to not overspend to keep him. And he can stay here and have success in his career and make good money. I, I feel like a lot of people who get here are like, you know, I mean, certainly some guys like like Charvarius Ward, the Chiefs were not going to re-sign him. They're just, they weren't going to do it because the amount of money that he was getting for what he was giving the team, it just wasn't worth it. But for guys who are good contributors on the team and at a valued position like receiver, I kind of feel like the Chiefs are going to find a way to convince him to stay, even if it's maybe a little bit less money than what they could get from another team. I feel like he would be the kind of guy who does take a little less to stay. Maybe I'm crazy for that. I kind of feel like I mean, we see it. We see it with Travis Kelsey. You think yeah. Travis Kelsey couldn't have got a bigger deal elsewhere. Yeah. And he's way underpaid compared the way, to his production. Yeah. By the way, glad you brought that up. It's it's borderline criminal how little he gets paid compared to the production that he gives you. I said earlier in the show, Travis Kelsey's the best pass catcher in the NFL. I would take him over Devontae Adams. I would take him over Stephon Diggs. Clearly, I would take him over Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs made that. I mean, it wasn't like a one-for-one, one, but 
Can you imagine if this offense had Tyreek Hill and not Travis Kelsey? There is no way they're as good as they've been as Grady Dick just hit like a 40-footer for three. He's got 18 points in the first half. That kid's a superstar. Sorry. I got Grady Dick on the mind. Yeah. You understand. Chiefs. I, I, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a KU fan. Well, so. <laughs> you'll learn. You'll learn over the next 20 minutes. Or so. I'm not a KU fan. So. Travis Kelsey's making $23 million guaranteed on this contract, which is the same amount as Curtis Samuel is making on his contract with Washington. And that puts him right around 35th in the league. If you were to compare Travis Kelsey to wide receivers, he would be the 35th highest paid receiver based off guaranteed money. The same amount as Curtis Samuel and one spot ahead of Devontae Parker, the New England Patriots. He's making about $14 million annually, which would put him in the Corey Davis, Robbie Anderson, Adam Thielen range. This is absurdity, Chris. This is the best contract in the NFL. And I know that a lot of people have been there. I mean, we in Kansas City have been there longer than most people, but it is nice that finally the national media is coming around on the idea that, you know what, this Travis Kelsey guy might be the best tight end of all time. I I mean, I, I, I think Mahomes has the best contract. Because you no quarterback should ever sign a ten year contract. Ever. Okay, so then the if Chiefs have the two. So, so they, they have the two. They have the two best two contracts, best contracts in, the in the NFL by far. Kelsey's definitely number two. He's easily best for a position player. And well, think about it. if if Kelsey were getting paid what he's worth, he would be getting paid twenty five million dollars a year. And if he were getting that so, contract, yeah. it, you wouldn't be able to do some of the other things that you've done handing out contracts in the league. The Chiefs. I don't know what they're going to do for Travis Kelsey after he retires, but they need to buy him an island or something in he's the Bahamas. Got, he's got island money. No, they they need to, like, if anything, you could put a statue of him out there because, I mean, obviously Mahomes is going to get one. Kelsey yeah. gets one, too. Give Kelsey one. Just put him up there next to Hunt, and we're all whenever they build the new Arrowhead Stadium, we could have we could have Lamar Hunt, we could have Patrick Aventure at some point, and then Travis Kelsey at some point. I think that would be the appropriate it doesn't make any sense because I know, like, statistically, he's not having the same season that Tyreek's having when he's got way more touchdowns than he has. But in terms of, like, the yardage and the receptions, he, does, he doesn't have the same. I think he's on pace for, like, his second best season. Dude, he's already tied his career high in touchdowns. Yeah. yeah. There's I seven mean, games left. Yeah. it's it. The production that he is giving is something that you don't expect for someone like a tight end in general, and then especially the tight end at his age. Well, what's most impressive is, like, beyond the stats, it's where he's picking them. Like, it feels like he's always doing it in, like, the most critical junctures of the game. Third and long, I mean, or the last drive of the game. Like, he always comes up so big when you need him. There has not been a quiet game for him. He has not had a quiet game all season long, which I get it. He's the best tight end. But even last year, he would have quiet games or Tyreek would have quiet games because we'd say, oh, the other team's just game planning to stop him. It feels like defensively it would be even easier to come up with a strategy to slow him down because you don't have to account for another guy that you need to constantly double team. But for whatever reason, nobody has had an answer to even remotely slow him down. I'm sure the Raiders thought they had a pretty good one. He had 25 yards receiving, but he had four touchdowns. So... That might be the best game of the year, even though it was his lowest receiving total. He had five catches for 51 yards against the Chargers in week two. I guess, I guess 
that's his worst game of I the season. Feel like, I feel like that would be the one, but still he had a, a major impact on the game. It's just, yeah, it's so hard to cover him. And like teams are like, they're holding him every time he comes off the line. He's being hugged by linebackers and safeties every time he comes off the line. And he is, there's always some sort of bracket coverage. Like mm-hmm. Mike linebacker is always sitting up top, waiting for Kelsey to stop his route, to try to, to try to hit him. And Teams can't stop him. They just cannot stop him. And the thing is, you can't entirely focus everything on Kelsey because the Chiefs do have other playmakers. And the last thing you want is for McCall Hardman to make one of his few catches he makes, and then he just runs straight through the defense and scores a touchdown. Ah. You don't want to do that. You don't want to allow Juju to do that because teams were doing that earlier in the season, and Juju started keying on that and scoring. So it's one of those situations where, like, if you stop this, this other thing's going to happen to you. It's it's very much kind of a pick your poison deal. Yeah. And I think right now teams are just like, hey, we're going to we're going to hold Kelsey as much as we can, but we can only do so much. It's the best of everything. It's the best contract in the NFL. He's the best pass catcher in the NFL. He's the best tight end of all time. I mean, it's and he's 33. He's yeah. 33 <laughs> and somehow playing the best football in his he career. Probably has 2-3 years left playing at this at this level. At this point, I'm not putting a cap on it. Yeah. I know. I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say like, oh, this is when he'll fall off. I'll just wait until it happens. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to be the guy to preemptively cancel him at any point because right. we love doing that in sports media. We're like, well, oh we yeah, love he's Tom done. Brady's done back in 2014, and, and then he wins how many more Super Bowls? <laughs> wins three more titles after that. Oh my god, four more actually. I love it, man. This is so much fun to watch. We're going to hear from Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. They're speaking to the media live at Arrowhead coming up around noon. You'll hear it all right here. Cody and Gold, 610 Sports Radio.